So we are in the midst of a series on Galatians, and I will admit that I'm feeling a little bit out of the loop as I haven't been around for several months, November and December, and that's when uh, Pastor Jeremy started the series. And so I've been frantically trying to catch up, and I've been reading Galatians over and over again the last few weeks, just trying to immerse myself in the text and wrap my head around what Paul's argument is and, and, uh, and what God is trying to say to us through this text, and I, I've enjoyed it. Understanding the context in Galatians is so important. Galatians has some of the strongest language that you will find in all of the New Testament, and you need to understand why Paul is, so, is speaking so strongly. And so I want to, um, I want to give just a 30-second review. If you're new this morning, or you just haven't been a part of the series, or you forget, here's a 30-second review, just so we understand the context and why this stuff matters. You pick up really quickly that Paul's very disturbed by a movement that is happening. There are these agitators agitating the church, this brand new church that has been planted uh, in this area in Galatia. And Paul is really disturbed because there are people agitating the church and they are teaching a different doctrine, a different theology. And he is really worked up about this and he's really concerned that these new believers are moving to a, to a different doctrine and they're being sidetracked and he speaks out against this. What is happening, most theologians and commentators believe that these agitators, they are called the Judaizers. And the Judaizers are teaching that once you have Christ, once you've accepted salvation, you need to, you need to accept and adopt Jewish practices and Jewish customs. Um, it's kind of a mix between full Judaism and following Jesus. And so the big one as we read through Galatians is circumcision. Um, they want these Gentile believers to be circumcised. But circumcision is just a part of the whole. It represents the Jewish religion. And Paul is so strong against this movement because he sees such great danger in it. One of the strongest passages that you see in Galatians, uh, Paul says in chapter 5, verse 20, he says, As for those agitators, I wish they would go the whole way and emasculate themselves. Reading scripture is not boring. He's saying, if you want to be circumcised, just keep going because it's not doing any good for you. He's, you know, he's really strong about this. He's passionate. He's really worried. He's angry that these Judaizers are teaching something that he thinks is so dangerous. You don't need to add to your faith. You are a Christ follower. You don't need to add um, other religious stuff into it. And so uh, for some, you might be reading through Galatians or sitting through sermons like this, and there might be a temptation to think, man, that was first century. This is 21st century. What relevance does this have on me today? Um, and in some ways, you're right. We don't hear of Christians going around saying that you need to be circumcised. That's not a message that we talk about anymore, so it's not that relevant. But in many other ways, we are dealing with very, very similar issues still today. Uh, Really specifically, there's actually some small fringe groups within evangelicalism that are teaching that Christians should actually indeed follow the Old Testament law and celebrate Old Testament festivals. I'm going to talk a little bit about that later on in the sermon. Uh, but a bigger scale, many Christians have been sucked into religious legalism. They've accepted Christ, yes, but they feel like they have to add things in order to continue to be a Christian. They have to achieve things or do good works or do certain types of rituals or things in order to remain in the faith. And that is called religious legalism. I have a bulletin insert for you if you want to follow along in the sermon. Um, I've given you a definition for legalism there. And the definition is this, dependence on law instead of faith. It's an emphasis on good works in order to secure salvation. And many people, even today, are still sucked into religious legalism. And the church, the church has a history of legalism. 
especially in the 21st century. This is actually something that's really come up in the, in the 21st century. Um, and we see this specifically or one, in one instance in the Mennonites. We are an MB church, Mennonite Brethren Church, and th there, is, there is a large group of Mennonites that have been sucked into religious legalism, and, and they are struggling with this. And I want to talk about this movement today with you as, as an example of how dangerous and how uh, sad it is to be sucked into this kind of movement. So I was in Guatemala, as you know, November and December, and I took a weekend to go fly to Belize because we have some ministries in Belize. The ministry is specifically working in the old Mennonite colonies. So just a little bit of history. Most Mennonites don't live in an old Mennonite colony. You know, I'm a full-blooded Mennonite and I don't live in a colony. Um, Mennonite is more of a, a, of a heritage, um, but there are people and lots of them still stuck in the old Mennonite um, colonies and they are stuck in a religious legalism that is so unhealthy and I'm going to talk about that. So we, we've actually gone there and planted a church, an evangelical church for those who are trying to find freedom outside of this legalism. Let me, uh, let me show you some pictures and give you some examples of, of Belize. So uh, as you know, I've visited many different cult cultures and uh, countries and I'm I've kind of gotten to the point where I'm more or less immune to culture shock, but when I got here, man, it hit me hard. I was, it was like stepping back in time. Um, so you're driving in Belize, and then you're on these dirt roads, and you end up, you, there's one road, and it turns into an old Mennonite colony. And so this colony is called Little Belize, and you get in there, this is what you see. There are no vehicles except for the ones that we're driving. Um, they are horse and buggy, so we'll just, we'll stop there. The horse and, do you want to just back up, Carlene, please? This one, thanks. The horse and buggy. The reason they're, there's nothing wrong with horse and buggy, but they do horse and buggy because driving a vehicle is a sin. Somewhere along the line, they feel that um, in order to follow Christ, you are not allowed to drive a vehicle. You're allowed to be in a vehicle if somebody else is driving, but if you're driving, that's a sin. I don't know how they wrap their head around that. But anyways, so they all have the horse and buggy. One of, one of the observations I made is that the horses didn't look great. They were kind of mal, malnourished, and they weren't like, you know, what you would expect from a horse. And I asked about that, and they said the re they don't actually take very good care of their horses because they want to make sure they don't have the nicest horse in the colony because then they will take pride in their horse, and pride is a sin. So they're actually going for the worst-looking horse because that's actually, it's almost like the opposite of pride. All right. So this is us, and I'm taking a picture out the window, trying to be as respectful as possible, but this is what it's like. And so they all dress the same. It's like 40 degrees there. You're in the desert. Well, actually, you're not in the desert. You're in the jungle, and they've cleared the jungle and made it farmland. Um, all the children dress the same. So you have the boys in their um, overalls, and you have the girls in their hats, and there's a strict dress code, like how many creases you have in your dress and how many um, things you have in your sleeves. I don't even know the names for it. And if you are outside of that dress code, it's really, really bad. Um, you can see classic Mennonites. You got the women on one side, you got the men on the other side. They don't really congregate together. Lots of children because they keep having children. Um, so you see children everywhere. Okay, uh, next one, Carlene. Thank you. This is what a typical property there looks like. They own several acres. And as you're driving down the dirt road, you just kind of see property after property. They have nice land. Um, so they're farming it. The land's not super fertile. Um, they're really struggling to get crops out of it. And you'll see in a little bit why they're struggling. Their homes, they're very small. 
It's actually really quite poor. It's very sad to watch. Every single house has a bus. And I started recognizing this and asked the question, what's with the buses on these places? Uh, the buses aren't working, so they're not driving, so they're okay. They're within the law there. The buses are where the children live because they don't fit in the house. And every single like, property, unless you're wealthy, has a bus. And that's where the kids live, in the buses. It's crazy. Okay, so as I was driving in, here's the tractor. You, anything you notice about the tractor? It has steel wheels. Because having rubber on your tractor is a sin. I'm not sure how, where they get that from, but having rubber on your tractor is a sin. You notice that on the trailer, there is rubber. You're allowed to have rubber on something that doesn't have an engine, but if it has an engine, it has to be steel wheels. So this is why their farming practices don't work very well. They're pretty slow. And again, you're like stepping back in time. And, and so they got the steel wheels. I just, I couldn't believe it. I stopped and had to get out and take a picture of this because, I mean, you just, it's hard to imagine. Okay. So here they are. They're spraying the field and they got the big uh, steel wheels. We'll flip one more, Carlene. Yeah, and really, really old combine. Again, all steel wheels. You can see how ineffective it is. I'm going to tell you a quick story about this. So in the colony, um, they told me a story of this. There's this guy, he had 10 kids, he was struggling with alcohol addiction, he was violent towards his family, everybody knew about it, he was struggling. He wanted to clean up his life, so he went to Mexico, went to an AA group, cleaned up his life, uh, got rid of the alcohol addiction, and he came home. And through the process, he realized, man, I need to be more successful at farming so I can provide for my family. I'm going to put rubber on my tires so that I can actually, you know, be more effective. Put rubber on his tires, and the elders came to his door the next day and said, take the rubber off or we excommunicate you. They don't care about the alcoholism. They don't care about the violence in the family. But you put rubber on your tires and you're going to hell. This is what these people live under. And so he said, no, I have to, I have to provide for my family. I don't see anywhere in the scripture that says rubber is a sin. Next day, they show up. He's excommunicated. Excommunicated in this colony doesn't mean you have to leave. But it means you can't buy or sell to other people. Which you're already in poverty and it drives you into even worse poverty because you no longer have a market within the colony. Very, very sad. This is an old colony church. This was a picture taken by a drone. Um, you notice there's no vehicles and it's just full of horse and buggy. And so this colony, Little Belize, there's 2,800 people living in this colony and there are four churches and they're all the same. Uh, these are old colony churches. Let me tell you a little bit about them. In the Low German colony, they, they speak Low German or Ploidoich. In the churches, they preach in High German and their Bibles are in High German and the majority of the people don't understand that language. So they're sitting there and they don't know what's going on. We have missionaries in this colony and we're trying to give out Bibles, Low German Bibles, so they can actually read the scriptures for themselves. They are told that it's a sin to read the Bible in Ploidoich because God only speaks High German. That's what they're told. And they're told this their whole life. And so they're actually afraid to even read and to learn for themselves. You talk about the oppression of religious legalism. It is so incredibly sad. So this is a church that we've planted. So there is good news. Uh, several years ago, people started just questioning the system, getting their hands on black market Ploidoich Bibles and start reading it and going, oh my goodness, like I, I'm starting to realize the truth and I want to follow Jesus for real. And so they were meeting in a barn and they, and they, they kind of outgrew the barn and we found out about it. So we bought a piece of land for them and built them a church. 
The church has been there now for a year and a half, and so the weekend I was there, this is what it's like, and it's full, and it's joyful, and people are excited, and they are hearing good news. Um, we have a missionary there. He's, uh, he's a missionary with our organization, and we sent him there for the next five years, and he's just training them up, and our goal is to raise up uh, local leadership, local pastors, so that they can run it. We don't want this to be uh, run by North Americans forever. That's not a good missionary model, but we're trying to hand it off to locals. This is the youth group, Friday night. Every Friday night, they do theology training and doctrine. What youth group wants to show up on a Friday night to learn about theology? And these guys come, they come an hour and a half early. Half of them come from the old, half of them are still, their families are still in the old Mennonite colony and they sneak out of their house. They go at night so nobody can see them coming down the road to come to this church and they are so hungry for the truth. They want to know what is this faith actually really about because I know that what I've grown up with, that there's just something wrong with it. And there's just this vibrancy. I was there. I saw them. They're, they're so interested to know what the truth is. And so when I was there, we baptized, or they baptized, uh, four of these young people. And, uh, you know, this is, this is a great celebration. We're seeing... We're seeing um, a movement in this colony. And so in Belize, you have some colonies that, is, that have escaped the, the old style religion and they look a lot like us, they're evangelicals. And then you have colonies like this that have just retreated and they have remained stuck in their religious legalism. When it gets really bad, they move to Bolivia. And in Bolivia, there's 120,000 old Mennonite colonies just trying to separate themselves from the world. It's kind of like the last stronghold. And our organization right now has four or five missionaries reaching into colonies in Bolivia. And in Bolivia, some of those colonies, they got guards at the door. They won't let anyone who's not old school Mennonite into their colony. I've, I've been to India, I've been to Ukraine, I've been to countries where there is persecution. This is the worst persecution I've seen. People getting beat up, kicked out of their families. You can't sell, you can't buy. It's, uh, it's pretty horrendous stuff. They're not being killed, but they're being, they're being thrown out. Uh, just for finding faith. It, it's, uh, it's very, very sad and was very, very eye-opening for me. And it was, it was a shock for me because this is my heritage. You take my DNA and some of these guys' DNA and you trace us back, it's not going to be that far until we're related. So this is, you know, th this is something that probably a lot of us can, uh, can relate with and go, wow, like somewhere along the line, our... our uh, the, older, or the other generation chose not to go this route and we went more evangelical, but it could have been this way, and I, I'm fully aware of that. This, what I saw here is legalism creates an anxiety and an, and an insecurity that you are never good enough, that you are never doing enough to receive acceptance from God. And they, I saw it. I saw it in the faces of the people who wouldn't even look me in the eye. They lived under oppression. They were, there was like this dark cloud over them. And they, they are, I asked, I asked some of the missionaries who know a lot more than I do about this, about this group, what, uh, what do they believe? They don't have any assurance of salvation. For them, it's being good enough and doing enough and hoping that God, who's actually very angry with them, will somehow give them enough grace to get them in, but they're never quite sure. So they're always working hard to ensure their salvation. That is legalism. And so this is just one example of how legalism is so dangerous and so oppressive. And this is what Paul is getting so worked up about in Galatians chapter 3. 
He's like, you don't have to add things to your faith. You don't have to be a legalist. So as you read uh, Galatians chapter 3 and 4, and if you have your Bibles, you can open up. We're going to get there now. Um, What Paul is getting so worked up about in Galatians is that they're adding things to their faith. And so Galatians chapter 3 and 4, it's actually the same message the whole way through. The message is you don't need to follow the law. Faith is what counts. And he comes at it from many, many different angles. And so if you have your outline, I've actually given you an outline. If you're reading through Galatians, for me, I find this stuff actually really helpful. Um, your outline here. So there are different angles that Paul is preaching the exact same message. So what Jeremy talked about last week, verses 1 to 5, is appeal from their experience. And what I'm going to be talking about today is an appeal from Scripture. And then Doug is preaching next Sunday, and it's appeal from the limitations of the law, and then so on and so on. You can read about it in here. But it's basically the same message coming at it from different angles. And Paul's just doing his absolute best to convince these Galatians, look, this legalism is going to tear you apart. It is not good. You don't need to add to your faith. So with that, let's read. Uh, Galatians, so the passage that I got today is Galatians 3, 10 to 14. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. As it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Clearly, no one who relies on the law is justified before God, because the righteous will live by faith. The law is not based on faith. On the contrary, it says, the person who does these things will live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a pole. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. So, again, in this particular approach, Paul's arguing his main point. You don't need law, you need faith. And he's arguing his point through the lens of the Old Testament scriptures. He makes four statements, and he quotes four Old Testament scriptures to back up his statements. And this is actually a really important angle for Paul because the Judaizers, they're using the Old Testament to prove their point. So Paul's saying, no, look, the very scriptures that you're using actually prove that, that what you're doing is wrong and you don't need it anymore. And so let's walk through these four statements. The first statement there, the law leads to curse because it cannot be followed. And that's reinforced by quoting Deuteronomy. So in these, in these three verses, Paul quotes four Old Testament passages. So you see what he's doing there. He's really trying to back up what he's saying using Scripture as his, um, as his reference point. So the law leads to curse because it can't be followed. We know the story of Israel, right? They were given the law. They tried to follow the law, and they failed. And God sent the prophets, and the prophets constantly said, you need to go back. You need to be the people that God has called you to be. If you don't, disaster is coming for you. Exile, destruction of the temple. They didn't listen. We all know the story. Israel failed, right? They, they couldn't do it. it. The law was actually a curse, which leaves a pretty big question. If the law doesn't save, what does save? Leads us to the second statement. Righteousness comes through faith. Reinforced by the prophet Habakkuk, chapter 2, verse 4, the righteous will live by faith. Very interesting passage, Habakkuk. This is written four or five hundred years before Jesus, and he's a prophet. 
and he's immersed in, in the Jew, Jewish religion of law and following, you know, all these things. And he himself is insightful enough to say, it is not law that leads to righteousness. It is faith that leads to righteousness. This passage, Habakkuk 2.4, is quoted two other times in the New Testament. It's one of the more important Old Testament quotes that the New Testament writers refer back to and say, look, already people were realizing it is faith that leads to righteousness. To drive home his point, Paul quotes from Leviticus in his third statement. And we know it's serious when you're quoting from Leviticus. So, third statement, in order for the law to bless, it must be kept. He's quoting Leviticus 18 verse 5 here. So, the law must be kept. They couldn't do it. We know that. They couldn't do it. So, if you, if you really want law to re- lead to righteousness, you got to do the whole thing. If you can't do the whole thing, it doesn't lead to righteousness. It must be totally kept. Which leaves the question, how does faith save us from the curse of the law? We got our fourth statement. And this is really, this is really the big uh, central point of this section. Christ became a curse for us. Reinforced by Deuteronomy 21, 23. Galatians 3.13 says, we read it. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. So this, again, is the gospel We have been redeemed by the death and the resurrection of Jesus. He took the curse of the law, the curse of trying to achieve salvation upon himself, and he said, I'm going to take that so that you can have my righteousness. He took our place. I want you to to picture this um, this scenario. A patient goes, goes to the hospital, says something wrong with my heart. They do a checkup. Something's seriously wrong with the patient's heart. It's blocked. It's not working. They quickly rush him into surgery, and they put him on the table, and the surgeon's there, and he opens him up, and he realizes this heart is done. Like, it is toast, and we have to get a transplant for this heart immediately, or else this patient's going to die. And the surgeon then says, well, we, don't, we, don't, we can't wait for a transplant. I'm just going to give him my heart. And the surgeon takes his heart and essentially takes his life and gives the patient his heart. That's the gospel. That's what Jesus did. He took our curse and he gave us his righteousness. 2 Corinthians 5.21. Paul, once again here, he says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus took our sin and, and, and replaced it with his righteousness. This is the gospel. This is, this is the, 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 the message of hope and the message of life. Jesus took our place. He has rescued us from the bondage of sin. He has rescued us from the bondage of the law. He has taken the curse. And now we can experience the blessing of Abraham, we Gentiles. It's not a good sermon by me if I'm not quoting N.T. Wright. So I'm going to throw up an N.T. Wright quote up there. So what he says, the death of Jesus finally exhausts the curse which stood over the covenant people so that the blessing of Abraham might, after all, come upon the Gentiles. That the blessing given to Abraham comes to all of us. And that's, as you're reading Galatians chapter 3 and 4, you, you hear a lot about Abraham, and Doug's going to talk about that next week. But the blessing of Abraham is now for everyone, not just for the Jewish people. So what is, when, when we place our faith in Jesus, we are saved. And what is the sign of that salvation? That's what verse 14 is speaking about. Verse 14 says, you have received the Spirit of God. We receive the Spirit in our lives, not through works, not through following the law, but through faith. 
What does this life in the spirit look like? This is, this is what I love about Galatians. You kind of got the heady theology in chapter three and four. You got the introduction, chapter one and two. You got the theology, chapter three and four, but then you got the real practical stuff, chapter five and chapter six. This week as I was reading Galatians, I thought I would just read like one chapter a day, but I just couldn't do it because I had to get to chapter five and six because that is the now what? Now that you have the, whole, now that you have the spirit in you, how then should you live? What does the life in the Spirit look like? And it's so good, and I encourage you to read Galatians 5 and 6. After you make it through the, the deep theology of chapter 3 and 4, 5 and 6 say, wow, it's for freedom that we've been saved. And this is what the life in the Spirit looks like, and it's such good news. So read chapter 5 and 6. I want to ask you a question. If we're saved by faith alone, where's the motivation to do good works? Where is the motivation to be good people? Have you ever wondered that? We do these things not out of legalism, not because they save us. We don't do good things or try to be good people because that's essentially what saves us. No, it is faith that saves us. So why do we do those things? We do it out of a genuine response for God's love. God, Jesus, took our sin. Jesus gave us his righteousness. Why wouldn't we want to live for him? Why wouldn't we want to take him up on his offer for life? We do it out of a genuine response for what he's done for us. Not out of obligation, not out of law, not out of duty, but out of a genuine response. Thank you, God. Why wouldn't I want to live for you? Why wouldn't I want to seek your face? Why wouldn't I want to accept this gift of life in your name? And when you have that perspective, it changes everything. You no longer feel like you have to earn it. You do it because you love him. And I saw that with these Mennonite believers. When I had a chance to sit down and talk with some of these believers in the old Mennonite colony, they talked about how they love living for the Lord now because it's not done out of duty or obligation, but because they just know God loves them. They've realized that God's not actually angry with them. God is actually really for them. And their worship service is loud and it's exciting and they're clapping hands like old Mennonite people standing up clapping hands, imagine that, hands lifted up, like they are happy that God has saved them. And they're doing this and they're excited, not because they're trying to be saved, because they've left that behind, they're doing this because they are excited for what God has done for them. And this is the message of Galatians, you are saved by faith alone. You do not have to follow the law, you do not have to earn it, Christ has taken the curse for us. So it's good to study theology. It's good to look at a book like Galatians. First of all, there's a value in knowing your doctrine well. And second of all, it allows you to be thoughtful. Thoughtful when there's other movements and people are asking you questions so that you can be, so you can have a good answer for them. So I want to talk about a movement that's happening uh, here in, uh, in Canada, in North America. Uh, we may not come across old Mennonite colony people here in Lake Country, but there are many other forms of legalism at play. And so there is a, there is a growing, it's still very much a fringe movement, but a growing a movement among evangelical circles. And there's lots of different names for it, but one of them would be called Jewish Roots. And these are Christians who are actually trying to uh, go back to Jewish culture. In my last church, we encountered this. We had three couples, three families, and they were great people. Man, we loved them. We loved their kids. But they really felt compelled that in order to faithfully follow Christ, they needed to be more Jewish. They were Gentile, but they needed to participate in Jewish festivals. They started eating kosher food. They started practicing Jewish customs. 
And as they did that, they became increasingly uncomfortable with our church. And they felt that everyone should be more Jewish and less Western. And things like Christmas and Easter became an issue for them because it wasn't Jewish enough for them. As I've observed this movement, I wondered, I couldn't help but ask them the question, how do you pick and choose which rules to follow, right? You can't follow all of them. So if you choose to follow kosher laws, then shouldn't you follow like clothing laws? You know that, you know that in the Old Testament, in Leviticus, if you mix like certain fabrics the wrong way, you get stoned. Like they're pretty strict about that. So how, how do you pick and choose? It's either all of it or none of it. In my mind, in my rational mind, I go, you can't just choose which ones are convenient. You either do it all or you're freed from it. But I don't really understand the middle ground. Um, this is a form of legalism and it's pulling people away from the church and it's concerning for me. And it's a form of earning favor or righteousness by following or adding the law, Jewish cultures, Jewish practices into your faith. It's a different form of legalism than what we talked about with the old Mennonite colonies, but it's still a form of legalism because it's no longer just about faith. Now it's also faith plus, plus other stuff. Faith is good, but you gotta do other stuff. And that's not what Paul's talking about here. So you might ask, well, what's the harm in celebrating Jewish festivals? I'm going to jump ahead here. I'm going to steal some of Jeremy's thunder. Galatians chapter 4, verse 9 and 10. So Paul answers that question. But now that you know God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you are turning back to those weak and miserable forces? Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? You are observing special days and months and seasons and years. I fear for you that somehow I've wasted my efforts on you. He's talking about these Gentile believers who are trying to be more Jewish and following Jewish festivals and customs. And he's saying you don't need to do this anymore, which is a pretty radical statement coming from Paul, who was a Jew, who was immersed in the Jewish culture. And he's saying you don't need that stuff anymore. It's old. It's obsolete. You might think, Chris, obsolete, that's, wow, that's a strong statement. Check out Hebrews. By calling this covenant new, he's talking about, you know, being a Christian, following Jesus. He has made the first one obsolete, and what is obsolete and outdated will soon disappear. The author of Hebrews comparing the old covenant with the new covenant. He's saying, we're in the new covenant, which makes the old covenant obsolete, so considering everything that we're reading in Galatians and in other texts, it surprises me that people feel the need to add religious stuff to their faith. That's what Jesus came to rescue us from. That's what, that's what faith in him is all about. Why would you want to add things? Faith is enough. Faith is sufficient. Later, um, in Galatians, Paul says, Galatians 6.15, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision uncircumcision means anything. It doesn't mean anything. What counts is a new creation. And he's talking about life in the spirit. He's saying, I don't care if you're circumcised or not circumcised. It no longer matters either way. What counts is that the spirit of God is in you, that you are a new creation by faith. That's all that matters. Stop trying to add things to your faith. So I want to encourage us to be wise and to be thoughtful people. We need to know our theology because you're going to have these conversations with people who challenge you and say, well, I feel like I need to be a bit more Jewish. This is the reason why I'm going this route. So we need to say, no, look, you know, as I read the scriptures, here's, what I'm, here's, here's how I see it. This seems pretty clear to me what Paul is saying. So I know sometimes this can feel a little bit thick and a little bit theological, but there is value in knowing what we believe and why we believe it well. So I want to end with, with an illustration here. Um, 
One of my favorite teachers, his name is Bruxy Cavey. You may have heard of him. He's a pastor at the Meeting House in Hamilton, Ontario. He actually pastors the largest church. It's a network of churches in Ontario and beyond. And I, he's just, he's fantastic. When I have a chance to listen to a sermon or read a book, I'm usually turning to Bruxy Cavey. Um, because I just think he, he is, just hits the nail on the head every time. He's got a big tattoo. He's got one tattoo, and it's a big tattoo on his forearm, so everybody can see it. And you know what's on his tattoo? It's Leviticus 19.28. That's, it's Leviticus 19.28. Can you imagine tattooing that on your forearm? Look it up if you want. You know what it says? Thou shalt not have a tattoo. For real. Because he wants people to ask him, why do you have a tattoo of Leviticus? It says, because, because the law told me I'm not allowed to have a tattoo. You know what? For him, it reminds him every day of what faith is. It's not about following rules or laws. It's about following Jesus, that we have been set free from that. We don't have to follow that anymore. Jesus came to save us from the law. He set us free from any obligation. He set us free from any form of legalism. You don't have to earn it. It is through faith in Christ. Jesus took that curse, took that obligation on himself and gave us his righteousness. So that's what Paul is getting so worked up about in Galatians. We have been redeemed from the curse of the law, so stop thinking you have to follow the law. You don't. You don't have to do it anymore. We are free from duty and obligation. We are set free. And as you read Galatians chapter 5 and 6, it speaks about it's for freedom that you have been saved. We have been set free from any of that legalistic stuff. We are now free to truly follow Jesus out of a genuine love and appreciation for him, not out of guilt, not out of obligation, not out of duty, but because he's awesome and why wouldn't we want to, right? We have been set free from legalism. This is good news. This is such good news. And I'm grateful to hear stories of people in, stuck in old Mennonite colonies who are finding good news. And I could tell you many, many more stories. We have people who can't get into old Mennonite colonies and they're sending in radio broadcasts and, and preaching in Ploidoich. And teenagers are listening to it on their illegal phones, listening to illegal uh, radio waves, hearing the gospel and, and finding freedom. God is doing a movement among the old Mennonite people. I praise him for that. And I want to continue to pray for them. So... Good news. We've been set free from any form of legalism. We can follow him with freedom and with love. So I'm going to invite the band to come up. And we're going to end with a couple songs. I just want to pray as we, as we wrap it up. God, thank you so much. Thank you that you love us. You loved us so much that you sent your son and that we, we have freedom. Thank you, Jesus, that you took, you took the curse. You took our place. You who had no sin became sin for us so that in you we would become the righteousness of God. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. So I pray that we would live lives that honor you, not because we have to, but because we want to. Thank you for faith. Thank you, Jesus. You are so good to us. Thank you, Lord. Amen.